it wasn't very wise to leave his phone on that bench. <laughs> My bad, sorry. I'm so, oh gosh. I had wrestled with the decision whether to sell my Harley during COVID really for a long time. And I finally made the, got to the point where I had decided that I was going to sell it. And selling a, Har selling a Harley is, um, unbeknownst to some people in the crowd, is actually a very emotional experience. <laughs> and especially turning it over to somebody when it comes. So I had some people come and look at it, but finally one guy came and he seemed like a really good guy and he brought his father-in-law with him who was a Harley rider, and he was hoping to get a Harley and start to ride with his father-in-law and seemed like a family deal. But there was some strong voice inside of my head that said, do not let him ride it. Do not. I could just tell um, by the questions that he asked, by the way that he was asking for clarity about the motorcycle like which one's gas and which one's the brake. And I thought, so I, I, I said, let me see your motorcycle license. I mean, I, he had a motorcycle license. So all in all, so I, the long and the short of it is this voice is inside of my head is do not let him drive this thing. And I let him. And he pulled out, he got started okay, didn't stall it as he pulled out. He pulled out, I watched him go out and then he, Drove down to the end of my street, which is a two-way stop sign, and somehow at that stop sign, he, he panicked, I guess, and gave it gas and just shot through the intersection, jumped the curb, and hit a retainer wall and wrecked the motorcycle. The anger that I had, I thought at the time was at the guy, you know, but it was really with me. And I knew I shouldn't have done it. I knew I shouldn't have let him do it. And I did. Dana and I were about to move to California. And the church that we were part of was in the process of looking for a, a new pastor um, to take Chip Ingram's place. Um, and I was going to follow Chip and his family out to Santa Cruz. And Dana and I were going to come in 1991 to California the, missionary field of the left coast. And um, as they searched for that, this new guy, I decided that I wasn't going to be a part of that process. I knew I was leaving. I was going to go to, to Santa Cruz. I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to, I wanted the church to make their decision and for me not to influence it. I just didn't feel like it was fair for me to do that. I was going to trust the elder board to make a selection and they campaigned a person that came in, and he and his wife came over to my house. And um, as we were talking, I had the strongest sense that this guy was not the right guy. I mean, strong. And I looked at my wife, <laughs> and she had a look on her face like at any moment she was going to puke. I mean, she, and I've never really seen that other than pregnancy times that you know, she had this look. And afterwards, we both were convinced that how, well, we, we were glad we were going to Santa Cruz because we didn't, we weren't going to really want to work with this guy. But I kept my mouth shut. I just kept my mouth absolutely shut. I, I just had decided it wasn't part of my deal. I felt this sense inside of me that I should do something about it, but I didn't. I did not speak up. 
And it ended up that uh, it didn't go well for that church. Now, I'm not about to tell you that every time I get this sense in my conscience that it's always ended up the way I thought. There have been lots of times, comedic times, I mean, just comedy upon comedy of times when I thought I knew what to do and I stepped into it with confidence and it didn't quite go the way I thought. So I'm not saying that this is like a 100% deal, but there are times in my life when I was really disappointed and it was disappointed because I had a clear sense, a clear sense in my mind of what to do and I didn't do it. I, I chickened out, I didn't speak up, I didn't follow this premonition or this conscience that was speaking to me, and it went poorly for me. Now, I'll bet that with everybody here and those people in the theater and online, I'll bet we could tell hundreds of stories just like that. Give me a nod if that's true. Some of you are not nodding. Liar. <laughs> but what if in our pursuit of wisdom, what if God has actually hardwired into us a tool that we can lean into to gain the guidance that we need to be wise? What if those promises of Scripture that he did not leave us as orphans, and it's a good thing that I go away, Jesus says, because of who follows after me. What if when we come to Jesus, that that conscience that resides in our hardwiring actually becomes redeemed and a source that can guide us in ways that we've never dreamed. The scriptures talk about it, they call it a voice from heaven. And I believe that it resides in every believer in Christ. Week one, we talked about being honest with ourselves in this pursuit of wisdom, if we're really going to do it, we've got to be honest with ourselves. And then the second week, Jay talked about what kind of story do you want to tell with your life? What kind of legacy? Now I want to ask you, is there, is there an attention that you need to pay attention to? Something going on that you need to be aware of. Oxford, the Oxford Dictionary defines conscience like this, an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or the wrongness of one's behavior. And it is through our conscience that we become aware of our deeply held moral convictions and beliefs. The word for conscience or our conscious, uh, conscience shows up over 50 times in the scriptures. Now, before we move on, I want to say that some of us have underactive consciences. I'm one of those. I, um, I'm not proud of this. I just will admit to you that my conscience is not as sensitive as sometimes it should be. There are things that can happen, things that I see, words that are used, and they just don't bother me. I live with a woman whose conscience, I believe, is overactive. And it's not an unusual thing for us to have a series recommended to us 
And for us to watch the first part of that series and within 15 minutes, Dana to say, I don't think this one's going to work. Right about the same time I'm thinking, this is awesome. So I understand that we also have different varying views because of our personalities and the way that we've raised in the work of God in us, that we have different ways of understanding our conscience. But I believe there's a way we can grow in our ability to listen to it as God's spirit leads it. So let me pray for us and we'll look at an example in scripture of how that happened. Father, thank you for the opportunity to declare aloud how great you are. And now we ask that you would speak, you would teach, you would guide us in ways that would make us more aware of your active participation in our day-to-day life and your desire to be more and more a part of it. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible, that kind of relationship possible through the payment of sin on Calvary's cross. We're grateful for that. We gather because of it in the hope of the resurrection. Now guide this time, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the strangest stories in the scriptures happens in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and it's one of the places where we see the word conscience come up. If you've never heard this story before, you're going to be like, he's making that up. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David was in the desert of En Gedi. Now, what's going on is David is becoming more and more popular. Saul is the king, the first king of Israel, and now David has killed Goliath. They're writing songs about David, saying David has killed his ten thousands, while Saul's only killed a thousand. There's jealousy, which becomes hatred and envy, and Saul is seeking to take David's life. And he got distracted because there was a national crisis. He took care of it. Now he hears that David's hiding in En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. David's got about 600 men. Saul's showing up with 3,000. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. That's number two. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish in the squatting position. I just threw that in just to see if you were listening. (laughs) Then David crept up unnoticed, and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, all counsel for David is that this is the perfect setup to kill your enemy, to get rid of this evil king who has demonstrated several times that he's not a good king. How much more clearer can it be that this dude has wandered into where you're hiding and put himself in a vulnerable posture. Nothing could be more clear, and his men tell him so. And David sneaks up, cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, it's 
It's a big deal. The, the, the hem of the robe of the king showed that he was a king, and it was also part of how his disciplines of prayer would take place. And so by cutting off the, the uh, edge of the robe, it's a bigger deal. Socially, we don't get it, but it's a bigger deal. It's, it's basically saying you shouldn't be king. See, you are no longer king, and your relationship with God has been severed. Verse 5, it says, Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Now think about this for a second. This guy's trying to kill you. You've been asking God to deliver you. You've written songs about it that we actually still read in the book of Psalms to be delivered from this dude. And then this happens. What could be more obvious? What could be more plain to see? And yet David is operating with this core conviction that he should not move against the life of the Lord's anointed. And over and over again during this period of his life, he says it over and over and over again. And so he goes on to tell his men, I will not do such a thing. And then when Saul finishes his business and goes out, David goes out and calls down to Saul and says, why are you pursuing a flea? Why do you chase after king of Israel? Why do you chase after, he even calls himself a dead dog. Why would you do this? I, if I wanted to kill you, I would have killed you when you were squatting. And Saul repents. Saul repents and says, surely you will be king of Israel. And six chapters later, Saul will be dead. And David is king. He was conscience stricken. He had principles that he had committed his life to. And he would not move against it. He would follow that guidance even when all around him say, dude, he's right here. Now, how do you learn to listen to that voice? How do you live a life in such a way? What if the wise life is always just right there if we'll only listen to it? There are three components. There are other ways. But there are three components that consistently throughout the scripture, we see people uh, following this while they follow the spirit of God. We'll, we'll begin to talk interchangeably for a redeemed person, a person who is in faith in Christ, their conscience and the spirit of God guiding is one. So my belief is, is that this, when the spirit of God comes in and resides inside of us, he also redeems our conscience. Not that it's incapable of still giving bad advice. It will occasionally. So what, how do I learn to listen? Three things. Number, number one, you immerse yourself in the word of God. Most of God's will for our lives 
is already revealed. Think about this in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You take these things that you're wrestling with and you submit them to the counsel of the word. Now, I know that a lot of times, your time and my time too, is when we're in the word of God, we don't seem to get anything. See, we, we've got this misunderstanding about going to the scriptures that there's gotta be a quiver in our liver each time we open the Bible or we missed it, but that's just not so. It's just not so. You are washing over your thoughts, your conscience, your actions over the word of God. And there will be times when you will read things and it will mean nothing to you. Numbers chapter 8. I don't know how many times I've read Numbers chapter 8, but I shared with you guys at the, at the end of last year Suddenly, there was a word on Numbers chapter 8 that jumped off the page as if, as if it had suddenly become bold and, and raised in points of, what do you call it when size on font? Not font, but just size. It just bold and just got big on the page. There was a word in Numbers chapter 8, about, about verse 23 or 4. You know what that word was? Retire. No lie, no stinking lie. I've read Numbers 8 many times and I saw that word for the first time there. That's the way the word of God will act is that the spirit of God will energize it and empower it and bring it to your mind. Also, you will recall things that you've read in the past as you're trying to figure out. 2 Timothy 3 says that it tells us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right so that we'll be equipped for every good work. You just can't find a better deal. And yet I come so many times to the word of God reluctantly. The word of God is immersed into your life and you begin to allow it and the meditation on it to infiltrate your thoughts during the day. Secondly, you are surrounded by the people of God. You allow people to be around and to, that can speak into your life in such a way that are pursuing the same values that you pursue. That doesn't mean that you don't talk to anyone that's not following God. That's not what I'm saying. But these kinds of people you put in your life and you allow them access to things that are going on and you give them permission to speak into the things that you're doing. In Galatians chapter 2, we see this. And it, listen, if, if Peter and Paul need this, then I figure we do too. Here's what happens in Galatians 2. Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. This is Paul writing. Can you imagine? That would have been a great fight in the church. Paul is confronting Peter. 
For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, you don't need to know anything other than he's just being a hypocrite. He's acting one way around a certain group of people, and he's acting another way around others. And the, others, the other Jews joined in his hypocrisy, and he confronts him right in front of everybody. It, the, the Proverbs will tell us that sweet are the wounds of a friend, but bitter are the wounds of an enemy, or the kisses of an enemy. That you've got to allow people in your life in such a way that are pursuing the things that you pursue. And then asking them, giving them permission to speak in. How can you begin to learn? Remember, we're talking about how can I learn a better way to follow the, the voice from heaven, the voice of God in my life? Immerse myself in the word of God, surround myself by the people of God. I can't tell you how many times that Dana has spoken into my life. I can't tell you what a wreck how many years ago I'd have been fired from this place for sure had I followed my own original thought. The elders here have spoken into my life on numerous occasions. I trust them to continue to do the same. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Estes Park with 40, about 45 pastors from the whole Bay Area. All the counties from, from Marin County up, up north all the way down into Salinas, and I had the chance to be there. And I have to tell you how humbling it was for person after person to come up to me and say, and just speak into my life, where they felt like I had said something to them that had helped them, where I had been in the right place at the right time. And every time they... Almost every time they brought it to my attention, it was five or six or seven guys that all said this. One guy said, you said something in 2008, it changed my life. I don't even remember 2008. But every one of those times, it was, it was just a simple comment. It was just something that I could have, I didn't re even remember most of the things that I had said. It was just a simple thing where I had listened to the prompting of the Spirit of God and I had sent a note. I had sent a card. I had written them an email. When I saw them, I had given them a word of encouragement. Folks, the people around you speaking into you, safe people that are going in the same direction that you are going. And so you've got the Word of God, you've got the people of God, and then you need to learn to hear the voice of God, the Spirit of God. Let, let me read to you what Jesus promises at the end of his life. Jesus says, I will ask the Father in John 14. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Skipping down to verse 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not let, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. John 16, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you 
into all truth. Now, here's a crazy, scary thought. Let me just do this for just for how many people believe that they have heard not an audible voice, maybe you have, but you hadn't or you haven't, but you believe you have a conscience that you've heard of at some point in your life. Just raise your hand if you believe that's true. All right, now put it back down. What if, what if when the Spirit of God indwells a believer, that's the Spirit of God? What if the resource you most dearly need to live a wise life resides in you already and you usually think it's because you had a bad burrito or a poor night's sleep? The power, Rick Warren says, isn't in the choice, it's in the voice. Romans 8 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And Romans 8 also says, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. This process for me is a growing, is something that I'm growing and hope to continue to grow in. How do I recognize the Spirit of God versus just a voice from my past or some of that negative accusations that come in my way? Almost always the Spirit of God is very specific when he speaks to me. He he doesn't speak in general terms to me. Now, again, this is just my experience, but I've I've not known ever the Spirit of God to say, you're a crummy dad. I've never heard him say anything like that ever. I have heard him say, though, you are unkind when you said that. You were selfish when you did that. But these general terms, those, aren't, those, in my experience, have not been the Spirit of God. They're almost always centered on other people and not myself. In fact, the, some of the promises that I've got from the Spirit of, of God, I feel like in my own life, are such um, vague promises that I wish it would have been, or promises I don't really want. Like I've, I've shared with you my verse for, for leading this church for 20 years was out of Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, take a new grip with your tired hands. I don't want that because that means what? I'm tired. It costs me something. It's centered on other people that won't go away. And it's usually something pretty simple. I have made it my practice now for many years that as I'm praying through a list, I have to have a list to keep my mind engaged in praying. Otherwise, I quickly go to my golf game or the Cowboys game or to something else. And if you're like that, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It just means you're an active mind. But as I'm praying through those lists, if I come to something and, they, and I sense, send them a note. I stop my prayer there, I send them a note. Now, that might be bad. Uh, maybe that's wrong. Maybe I should say, remember that, and then just keep praying. But my experience has been so far most of the time, I don't remember that. So I just stop and do it. Some of you possibly in this room have gotten emails or texts from me at some particular time in your life. It was just because God brought you to mind. It wasn't because I love you more than anybody else or that I'm even really a very good Christian. I've just decided when the voice of God speaks, I try to do it right then before I 
move away. There's a price for wisdom. And it's this constant striving to walk closely with Christ. Dallas Willard said, our communion with God provides the appropriate context for our communication with God. Our communion with God provides the appropriate context for our communication with God. In other words, if you don't ever talk to God until you need him, it might be difficult. This is what I love. Acts 24, we're, we're almost done. Acts 24 says, so I strive to always keep my conscience clear before God and men. That word for strive is only used here in the New Testament. And it means to exercise oneself, to exert your diligence towards. It means to work out. That you can, you can actually strive right now. You can say, well, you know, I'm glad that works for you, bald dude, but it ain't working much for me. It can begin to. It can begin to if you choose to. Paul himself said he had to strive. He had to exercise. He had to work towards it. There have been times when I thought I heard the voice of God and I stepped out on it, and it was obviously not. You, you know how easy it is to get out of that, though? You just say, I'm sorry. Now, I never go into situations saying, Thus saith the Lord. I don't go into somebody's life and say, I got a word from you from God. I mean, what, what do you do with that? I hate it when people do that with me. People do it with me, especially pastors from other churches. They have a word for me, for us. And I'm like, I ain't heard it yet. But I, you could say, just had a thought for you today. God's crazy in love with you. Be encouraged. I want to challenge you to say that you will pay attention to the tension and go to God with your hesitation. Some of you right now, as I've been speaking, there's a tension in your life. I've been praying for it. So blame me. There's something, there's something that some of you have not done yet that you know you need to do. And that tension in your life needs to be resolved. Discern whether it's the voice of God and obey and watch, watch him do crazy good stuff. Or not, but at least you know you've done the right thing. And then there are some of you in the room that are not waiting to do something. It's not a sin of omission. It's a sin of commission. You've got attention in your life for what you did already. Confess it, go back and make it right. One of the great phrases that needs to be exercised all the time and it's a regular part of our lives, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Hebrews 3, 7. As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Ephesians chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day 
of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the spirit of God in your life. Mark and the team are going to come and they're going to lead us in a song called Fresh Wind. It's an invitation of the spirit of God to begin to speak in us and then through us. I want to challenge you, and I hope that you already know this, but anytime you see words on the screen that we invite you to sing and you're just not willing to do them, just don't sing. You do damage to your soul when you sing things you already know you're not going to do. Don't invite the Spirit of God to speak into your life if you have no intention of listening to Him. Just say, I'll, if, you, if, if you can do this, you can say, well, I want, I want to want that. Help me want that, God. Help my unbelief. Help me not to harden my heart in such a way where I cannot hear your voice. But if you can, these words are an invitation for the source of all truth to be in your life and to give you the wisdom you need to be wise so that you can have fewer regrets. I regret especially that I didn't speak up Back in the early 90s, there was a lot of pain that happened. I regret lots of things that I've done since that the Spirit of God had clearly warned me about. I can't change any of that, but I can confess those things. It says that we can have our conscience clear. Did you know that? Hebrews 9 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? In other words, based on Christ, no matter how messed up your decisions have been, Jesus would like to make it right today, right now. As you invite the Spirit of God to come in, He wants to do that in you. Father, we thank You that You have not left us as orphans, but You have given us Your Spirit. Teach us to hear His voice. Holy Spirit, we know that You won't give up on us or desert us. Teach us to hear your voice. Cleanse us from things that might be holding you back. That we might have a fresh wind of your spirit in our lives. And in our church. In our world. In Jesus' name. Amen.